The following Dharma talk was given during a retreat at the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies. This retreat, Human Flourishing and the Evolution of Buddhism in the West, was led by Barry Majid and Max Erdstein in October 2021. When a new student comes, I meet with them individually for the first time. Often I'll ask them, what are you doing here? And I mean that question in two ways. First, literally, what are they doing when they're sitting? What kind of practice do they have? Are they following the breath or counting the breath or working on a koan, just sitting? How do they understand for themselves what their practice is? But I also mean it in a larger sense of what are you doing here? What is your goal in practice? How do you understand the point of what we're doing? And sometimes people will give a somewhat uh, standard kind of answer of I want to relieve suffering or I want to become compassionate or I want to become enlightened. But I try to get to know people in a way that I can find out a little bit more about what's behind that kind of answer and what the personal reason is for practicing. Just what is it that we're suffering from that we're trying to seek relief from? What's that relief supposed to look like? person may feel their mind is never at rest, is constantly busy. They're tormented by obsessive thinking. They want their thoughts to stop. They may be an angry person to feel out of control and reactive. They want to find some way to stop being angry. Maybe they're preoccupied with sexuality feeling like their mind is full of it all the time and that doesn't give them any peace and it causes them to make all sorts of foolish choices in their life. They want to get some kind of relief from that. Or they might have a different kind of reason. Their life might seem to be sort of empty, meaningless that the usual consumer-driven life of getting and spending and getting ahead seems empty. There must be some kind of alternative. There must be something higher, something spiritual that they can reach or touch, gives their life a different kind of meaning or purpose. Or a person might simply feel, I'm just endlessly judgmental, always chasing the good, trying to flee the bad, 
I want to get beyond all of that and just somehow live my life directly without judgment. Just what is this? Now, I've written about all the individual psychological pro projects that people engage in in meditation. I've called them their secret practice, what they're really doing, what they really want when they come to sit. But these personal projects never take place in a vacuum. They're always framed and conditioned by uh, the culture or the tradition of practice that the person has encountered that gives them some framework, some idea of what practice is and what it's about and what it's for. And that can be embedded in history and Asian culture and all sorts of ways in which we've learned about meditation from different sources. What we're going to do uh, this weekend is look at three different kinds of cultural containers or traditions that frame or shape people's idea of what practice is and what it's for and how to do it. Now, these different traditions can be characterized in a lot of different ways. But one might be said to be characterized by themes of negation, of trying to rid ourselves of something that is causing suffering, whether it's attachment or desire or thinking or even the self itself. There's a kind of process, I would say, that is focused on subtraction, to feel that our usual daily life is filled with not just distractions, but desires, motivations, and just ways of thinking that, are, that blind us to the way things really are at some level. And they not just blind us, but they lead us astray into suffering to pursue the wrong things and to end up with an endless cycle of suffering and perhaps even in some literal sense, rebirth into a life after life cycle of suffering. Another model, instead of uh, thinking in terms of negation could be characterized in terms of development where we're trying to develop positive aspects of ourselves that we feel have never had a chance to, to grow. 
And here we might think of, we try to develop discipline or endurance or the capacity to concentrate and pay attention, to focus our mind or our attention on one thing instead of being distracted all the time. We might try to become more compassionate. We might think that we have innate capacities or an inner self that's our true self that we want to discover and bring out instead of getting stuck in the superficial accommodative social self, which feels like a false self. So that project in general could be called one of addition instead of subtraction. And the third project we might say is one that neither adds or subtracts, but leaves everything just as it is. It tries to emphasize simply experiencing our life as it is, not changing it, not fixing it, but, being, but just being present for it. Now we're going to discuss each of these kinds of projects in turn. Max will begin in the morning discussing a traditional Theravadan practice, which in many ways is equivalent to the project of subtraction. In the afternoon, I'm going to talk at some length about Seth Siegel's idea of a eudaimonic practice, a practice based on the Aristotelian notion of the development of our capacities or virtues that leads to a kind of flourishing that we can describe as happiness or perhaps even enlightenment. And I'm going to uh, briefly try to make an additional contrast with the short reading of uh, Joko Becks that I gave you, in which she talks about a version of enlightenment that leaves everything just as it is. Now, even though uh, we've talked about the evolution of uh, Buddhism in the West, I don't want us to think about that as an evolution from lower to higher. Uh, we might think instead of evolution as meaning adapting itself to uh, as best as possible to new circumstances, to a new environment, fitness rather than superiority. And these three ways of um, looking at practice are not meant to be uh, hierarchical. And I'm not going to uh, suggest you adopt one and rather than the other. Instead, I'm going to suggest that to different degrees, we will all participate in all of these to one degree or another. And in part, what we're trying to sort out is where we have a particular affinity for one style versus the other, 
why that might be the case and what it might mean to uh, try to expand our sense of practice into the other uh, dimensions as well. Now, this is not the kind of retreat where we're going to uh, give you meditation instruction or any kind of guided meditation. Uh, this is a very diverse group. I'm sure you come from a lot of different kinds of traditions. And I'm assuming that you all have something that you do that you call practice. And part of what we're trying to do is have us each bring to the table our own particular version of practice and say something about what we think it is and where we got it, and why we do it this way and not another way, and what it's like to compare it to a definition of practice that comes from one of these other kinds of frameworks. If, however, you um, are here and really don't have any uh, clear sense of how you want to practice, I'll make a very simple suggestion that you practice by sitting and feeling your body breathe. Just sit and feel your body breathe. Feel your chest, your belly move with each breath. Feel the breath come out through your nose or your mouth. Don't try to regulate it, control it, or do anything. Just breathe naturally and just watch how that feels. Just feel it. It's a very simple thing. You might find that it's not easy to do something that simple for an extended period of time. But if, if that's the case, just watch what the difficulty or distraction is. And just try to stay with doing this very simple thing. Now, sometimes people feel like they can't really identify what that framework is that they're using about their practice. They say, I'm just sitting. You know? um, one way to clarify your own framework is to think about what counts as a good sitting or a bad sitting for you. Everybody does that. If you sit for a half an hour, they'll, you know, you will inevitably find yourself saying, oh, well, that was the good part. Maybe it was good because my mind was really quiet. Or that was good because I found my breath getting really slow and steady. Or I started to feel a kind of warm confidence in just being present. Or I actually found myself getting a little bit high or blissful, getting into a kind of state that I'm going to call spiritual. We all have, when we sit, preferred states. And to complement those, we all have states that 
we instinctively say, well, this isn't it. My mind is racing. My knee hurts. I can't stop thinking about what I did during the day or what I'm going to do tomorrow. I keep going over what the teacher said in the talk and arguing with it. People have all sorts of ways in which they say, oh, well, whatever was happening, that wasn't really meditation. I know that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. See, when we make those kinds of judgments, what we're doing is implicitly judging by certain kinds of criteria about how things are supposed to be and where we think we're getting with all of this. Is anger and thinking a problem when it intrudes? Is that something I'm supposed to push away for half an hour and make myself calm? Am I supposed to be able to sit completely still and not move, be impervious to pain? Am I doing it wrong if I scratch an itch or if I'm not able to stay awake? Or do I let myself say, well, whatever happens, I'm being present. So it doesn't matter if I'm daydreaming or half asleep or scratch or move. All those things are just fine. I'm just doing what I'm doing. How could anything be wrong? See, in a way, you can create all these different versions of what you think you're doing, whether you're doing it well or badly. And all these different traditions, in a way, shape for us how we think about what this is and how we're doing at it. And that's what we want to uh, put on the table this weekend. Just what it is we've inherited from these different kinds of traditions uh, and how well they actually are working in our life. Uh, how much are we creating an impossible ideal for ourselves? To what extent, on the other hand, are we failing to challenge ourselves or really achieve as much as possible from this? Lots of different ways of framing what we're, we're doing. And again, I want to try to stress that we're not going to uh, end up with a judgment about the right way. We're trying simply to see what it is we've inherited and what we're doing with it. So as we sit together, uh, we're going to have a few periods of simple sitting followed by the discussion groups. Uh, in those periods of meditation, just notice what it is you're doing. And as we come out of those periods into the discussion, let's try to think about ask, answering that question of what is it we're doing here? And see if we can uh, compare notes with each other about that. 
think I'll leave it there for tonight and we will uh, go into these different uh, modalities in some depth tomorrow and uh, compare notes. Thank you.